You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. How many times have you heard the, but the horse does all the work, BS? We're talking to a personal trainer equestrian to set the record straight. This week, we'll also commiserate over the highs and lows that come with training horses. Thanks for tuning in. From Heels Down Mag, a podcast where horse pros chat about what's happening in the horse world over drinks. Welcome Welcome to Happy happy Hour. hour. I'm Justine Griffin. I'm Jessica Payne. And I'm Ellie Wozniaka. Welcome to episode 108 of Heels Down Happy Hour. Hey. Hey, guys. Hello, hello. So, Jess, you're still hobbling around? Still hobbling around. It's been good, though. I'm, like, finally getting more comfortable in the crutches and going <laughs> to BT. And so, slowly and surely, like, you know, getting at it. All right. All right. Allie, or Ellie, everything's going well at the farm? You're getting around, too? Yeah. Yeah, I actually just had my MRIs this week or last week. Um, so, everything looks like it's starting to get smaller and heal. So that is really good. So yeah, good news all around. Cheers to that. Speaking of cheers, Ellie, I heard you have a great drink for us. I do. And it's easy to make. So that's right. It's yours. <laughs> <laughs> so it's literally so simple. So you just add ice to a glass and then you top uh, with uh, St. Germain Campari and then with sparkling white wine. And then if desired, which obviously I don't because it's extra work, but you can garnish with uh, fresh mint leaves and apricot slices and or fresh cherries, which I might do the apricot slices because that's like the sounds... apricot slices sound like it'd be really good in it. But the mint as well. This sounds yeah. really good. I like this. Yeah, it sounds really good. It's definitely better than the beer I am drinking now. <laughs> <laughs> so this episode is brought to you by Eco Gold. All right, guys, and it's time for our news segment, and um, the news is brought to you by the Heels Down Spark, which, as you guys all know, and should be subscribers by now, but the Heels Down Spark is the only daily equestrian newsletter. It's free. You can subscribe by going to bit.ly slash spark by HD. All right, Jess, what do you got for us? So I have one that, like, a bunch of riders are kind of noticing and stuff like this, but there is actually for the first time. And I can remember there's going to be no eventing nations cup held in anywhere in North America. There have been times where it hasn't happened in Canada or it hasn't happened in the U S but this year it was supposed to be in Bromont. It kind of clashed with different dates. We've had it at great meadow before. And for some reason they have been able to not get it. I don't know if there's just you know, you have to have a minimum of a couple, I think it's four nations and stuff. So I wonder if that's going into play because then it's hard to always fill all those slots. But it's definitely kind of odd that it's missing out in here in North America for eventing. So that's definitely strange. It is. So what what does that mean for riders who are looking to really reach that top level, Jess, or they're trying to qualify for anything in the next year or two? Like, does that mean well, they I have think you, you don't have to. The Nations Cup was a way, in my mind, and like how I looked at it, was like a great way for people on younger horses or, you know, up-and-coming riders. Like, that's kind of a way to do sort of team stuff I without see. having to go and actually go overseas. Now, 
we usually do have people go to Bukalo and put together a nation's cup. And so they take advantage of it there. I think, you know, we've had people go to Mill Street or Chatsworth or something like that and put a team together. But it was always nice to kind of say, hey, look, like it's a way to get out. You know, there was just a nation's cup. It was massive down in Wellington for show jumping. And it's just a way for a lot of like the younger riders to be put in like a team atmosphere and team situation where they have a lot of that kind of similarities for what hopes to be when they can do senior teams. I see. Gotcha. What do you have, Justine? So I have a fun history type uh, news item. Uh, It's always interesting to me when horses make uh, the mainstream media. And I liked the story that I listened to actually on my commute to the barn on NPR originally. It was on All Things Considered, if you guys are NPR fans like me. But there's some new evidence to suggest that horse riding was a common activity as early as 5,000 years ago. Um, There's a new study that looked at human skeletal remains for small signs of physical stress associated with riding horses. One, I'm really pleased to hear that they can (laughs) determine that horse riding causes physical stress, right? Um, But two, that helped these researchers really figure out that people started keeping uh, and caring for horses like 5,500 years ago, initially for their meat, sad, maybe milk, they think. But then horse, somebody, you know, one person some time ago in that time frame thought like, hmm, maybe I'm going to, I should climb on the back of this animal and Let uh, me throw my leg over that real quick. <laughs> and see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and voila, horses became a transformative mode of transportation. <laughs> So, uh, but it's interesting that, you know, research can tell us this, right? By looking at uh, historical remains and what that means for kind of determining our start of our relationship with horses and how they were domesticated. So we'll share the link to this story in the show notes, but the research is part of a a medical journal, Science Advances, uh, and you can learn more about it there. So what do you got? Yeah. So it's actually really interesting uh, because it kind of, leads right into mine. Oh, so, good. like I said, I've got, I got my recent MRIs done and they, uh, since I had paralysis of my body, they do spinal MRIs now, which mm-hmm. my neurologist always makes comments about the fact that my back doesn't look like a normal 27 year old's back because of all the horseback riding. So apparently it's a common thing, um, to have a little, little, uh, little bit of wonky stuff in your MRIs, uh, from riding horses. Uh, which is funny, but my uh, news is actually about a standing MRI uh, that is now at the Park Equine Hospital in Lexington, Kentucky. So the you know traditional MRI has been under general anesthesia, right? You have to lay the horse down, um, and then the tubes are kind of slid into like a tubular core, which is the MRI machine, which is tough on the horses for a lot of reasons, just the recovery from general anesthesia in general and being laid down. I mean, it's not it's not an easy process for a human or horse. So the standing MRI is actually now in Lexington, Kentucky, which means that it'll be under light sedation. And this also is going to be a huge help because the thing is, lameness, I'm sure as we all know, issues are hard to find. Um, you know, it's a series of exams. Um, they're getting kind of better one day, then they're not. Then it's, you know, it's we're going to check, we're going to nerve block this leg now. And one of my vets said uh, last year about my borders horse that was having some lameness issues is diagnosing really is not an exact science. They can't 
see through things. But with the help of the MRI, they can. Sure, x-rays can help with bones, uh, but it doesn't help with seeing detailed images of the other stuff. So the MRI is going to produce those detailed images of the distal limbs and everything below the knee and hock. And it's going to be that same thing as humans, the powerful uh, tool utilized to spot disease and damage in both soft and bony tissues. And it's really cool. Like they have some photos of it. Uh, if you go to the Chronicle of the Horse, where I found this article, and we'll link it in the show notes. But um, it's kind of looks like just a standing like trailer, like no wheels. Um, so it is definitely doesn't look like a uninviting area. They have it very light inside. And obviously with some light sedation, I think it's going to be definitely a lot easier on the horses and a lot more precise of a way to find these tougher issues. This is going to make it more of an exact science. Um, so it's it's going to be huge. Now, it's exciting to have that in Kentucky. Uh, there's some down in Ocala or in Florida. I think there is one in Ocala, but there's definitely some in Florida. And it's it's really coming around that finding these standing MRIs and not having to lay the horses down, it's going to be pretty important for um, especially all the horses and everything they do to be able to say, hey, look, you can see inside the foot where you couldn't ultrasound and stuff and see what's actually going on in there. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So shout out to everybody who helps continue this amazing podcast through our Patreon account. Um, And Patreon subscribers get really, really neat special things that only Patreon subscribers can receive. Uh, We've partnered with Doug's service. We've partnered with Ride IQ. And there's just so many fun things uh, that you can check out on Patreon. So just thanks again to everyone who continues to donate. And if you are interested, go to patreon.com slash heels down. All right, guys. So I have a really exciting new saddle pad for the product review this month. If you haven't heard yet, maybe you haven't seen it on EcoGold's social media, but obviously we're huge fans of EcoGold here at the, in the happy hour corner. But um, EcoGold just released a new line of pads. Um, I think a lot of people have come to, to know their cross-country designs and they're secure and the flip half pads. And now EcoGold is offering a new set called the Breeze Pad. Think of it like almost like a baby pad. It's very thin, especially by EcoGold standards, but it still has all the features that you've come to love about EcoGold. It's almost like it still has a lot of like the secure pad, almost like the secure pad without the foam. Like it still has all of the um, materials that make it moisture wicking and anti-slip, but it's so ultra light. Like I... It's hard to even describe verbally. You almost got to like see it and feel it to understand it. But the pad is ultra light. It's only like a half an inch thick of high resiliency foam that EcoGold uses. And then they also, you can pair it with a thinner flip half pad. It's like maybe three quarters foam. Um, so much thinner than the traditional flip half pad. And it's not shimmable like, you know, like the normal flip half pad is. But the underside of the Breeze half pad is is still breathable. It's still that same non-slip material. It was developed by EcoGold to be the perfect schooling pad, and that is 100% what it is. So I have a set that I, the first time I used it, I took Wyatt, my new off-track thoroughbred cross-country schooling over the weekend at Three Lakes, um, which is a private farm that hosts a couple of USCA 
uh, recognized horse trials in the winter. And then they have one schooling event a year where they open their course up for schooling. And then that's it. It's closed. It's one of my favorite places to ride and show. And uh, so I took Wyatt there over the weekend for his one, his first time ever cross country schooling. And I wore the breeze set and I was literally like strangers who were schooling their horses in the woods with us, like at the water element at the ditch would stop me three different strangers and said, Hey, where'd you get that pad from? It's so sharp. So my breeze set, I went for the black jumper pad with the matching uh, half pad. And then it has this beautiful trim that you can, you could pick your own color. So I went with the teal trim. So both pads are black with that teal trim and it's just super sharp. Um, and it's a wonderful schooling pad. I mean, I had a young thoroughbred gelding out cross country schooling for the first time. Like we really put it to the test in that he was super sweaty. It was a pretty warm day, even though it's March here in Florida. And that thing kept him super cool. It like when I took it off, like it did not, it did not slip at all during my ride, but I took it off and it was, it just breathed so easily. Like it cools out. It was completely dry and cool by the time we got back from trailering home. It's just a really lovely set, especially if you're looking for something that's a little bit thinner and maybe not quite so much foam for impact protection. It's a really nice option for that thinner set. And they come in all different styles. So you can get this for dressage. You can get it in that the same cross-country cut as Eagle Gold's normal secure cross-country pads. You can get it in a jumper cut. And they have a variety of color combinations that you can pair that trim uh, with the color of the pad in, in all different ways. <laughs> so you could get whatever color combination that speaks to you. But it's a it's a great deal. It's definitely the same material and same high standard that eco gold uh uses for all their pads like it's hard working it's gonna uh, stand the test of time and you can customize it so it's a really fun set uh, i know there are some people who have gotten the half pads eco gold is doing a really fun thing allowing uh, fans to test new products so some of these pads went out to some of these new testers so you might see some more images and video of them on social media but if you're interested in checking it out for yourself, you should go to equalgold.ca and search for the Breeze Pad. All right, everybody, I'm really excited to introduce our guest this week. I feel like this has been a long time coming. I, you know, Laura Crump Anderson, I, I read your book, oh my gosh, like six months ago, maybe more than that. And I've been dying to have you on the podcast. So Laura is a certified personal trainer by the American College of Sports Medicine. And she's the author of Ultimate Exercise Routines for Riders, which is published by Horse and Rider Books. And obviously, Laura is an equestrian. Welcome, Laura. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I'm a huge listener. And I thought it was funny that I was like, my intention for 2023 is to do some more podcasts. And the first one is one that I listen to regularly. So I could not be more excited to be here today. Oh, my gosh. Um, I'd love to hear that. <laughs> love it. <laughs> so, Laura, tell us, you know, I, I feel like it's very timely that we're talking to you because rider fitness seems to be top of mind in this day and age. Like, we're all trying to be the best versions of ourselves to be better at sport, to be better for our horses. So what made you want to write this book? So, honestly, I got my degree in exercise science and I graduated and I was an equestrian and I was like, I 
want to be an equestrian. I it went after it full time. I was like working for an event rider and I was trying to make it in the event world. And then I was like, I need to make a living. So I ended up in a gym. I worked in a gym from like 2016. It was a boutique fitness studio to like 2019 when I hit a huge amount of burnout. And I was writing for Eventing Nation during that time. I've always had an interest in working with the riders because when I was 16, I was told by an orthopedic surgeon I had the spine of a 90-year-old. Oh, boy. And it is one of those things that physical therapy and exercise got me back in the tack riding and competing. And I realized how important it was to take care of my body and not just lift heavy wheelbarrows and water buckets and get bucked off young horses and, you know, it's very labor intensive and it's very dangerous. So being burnt out, I stopped writing. I was working for a physical therapy practice, but I was like, my message of the importance of rider for fitness for horseback riders is so important. We need to get it out there. And I was like, you know what? It's COVID. I'm furloughed. I'm not doing anything. I'm just going to send out a book proposal and I'm going to see what happens. And I sent the book proposal out to, it's Horse and Rider Books, but it's Trafalgar Square is the publisher. And they, like, I was like, that was a fun COVID project. And immediately I put it out of my mind. I was like going back to work. And six weeks later, when the world started to open back up again, they came back to me and was like, we want to publish your book. And I was like, oh my gosh, now I have to write a book. (laughs) (laughs) So Let's start off with like, what do you think is the biggest misconception about working out or not working out and being successful in the saddle? So I would say the most common misconception is that what you are doing is enough. I think a lot of the top riders are now focusing on their fitness and treating themselves like athletes. And For the everyday layman, the person who is the adult amateur or the person who's riding one horse a day, there is a huge amount of energy that you are not expending that the professional rider is expending on a regular basis. And those professional riders are now taking their fitness seriously and it's getting them to the next level. So I think the most common misconception is that you know, riding a horse three days a week while it is physical activity, it is not exercise. No, 100%. I mean, and it turns to be, you know, from riding, well, used to be riding a bunch a day, like you're, it's almost muscle memory. So we do try to incorporate some sort of workout. And that brings me back to your book, because I love how you've decided to incorporate workout routines with so many different riders that we can see it and we can see pictures of like how you have like all these other people out doing it and their guidelines for all of it. You even have a guideline for pregnant riders, which I really wish I had your book when I was pregnant because that would have been (laughs) massive. But anyways, it is out there for everybody else that is getting pregnant. And so how did you go about capturing all these different, like what made you think, you know, I need to go the show jumpers, the venters, all this. And you brought us all into one kind of group and pregnant people. What made you think, okay, like what's, what was your like light bulb moment that I need to make sure I capture everybody? I definitely really thought I wanted like dressage riders. I wanted show jumpers. I wanted event riders. I 
any equestrian. I don't have a male in my book. I was very disappointed that I didn't get a guy model, <laughs> but you know what? Next time or next time, exactly. Male, I'll definitely get him on. No. Um, so what I did with the pregnant riders, I actually, I had only trained as a personal trainer, one pregnant person before, and she trained all the way up through her pregnancy. And it turned out like a fortuitous moment, but I signed on, on in March to write this book. And in April, I found out my best friend who is an upper level event writer was pregnant. And I was like, holy Perfect. crap. Perfect. They, and, and the publisher was like, I really want to have this pregnancy tracker. I'm like, I'm not an expert in pregnancy. I did work at Latin physical therapy and I did have a pelvic health specialist that I was working with. Her name is Dr. Shaisa Ambreen. She's amazing. Like that I came up with my routine with, um, like I came up with the routine and then was like, approve this please. But she like having that like moment of clarity, it's like, it is such a huge thing for the body to go through. It's a transition and come when you're pregnant, being active, you're like preparing for the laboring process. My, one of my really good friends wrote all the way up to her pregnancy. My other really good friend wasn't able to ride at all during her pregnancy because doctors were like, don't do it. And it's just, you know, if what you can do, as long as you got two feet on the ground, like safe as you can. I mean, I have you take one foot off the ground um, to exercise, but you're, you know, keeping, keep moving and be active and you're going to go into that childbirth as strong as possible. And it is a marathon, not a sprint. So you got to start at the beginning and work out all through your pregnancy. And I do think that riders tend to be much better patients for childbirth because they are so strong in their abdominals and lower core already. Um, but I, I think that is a special population that feels very intimidated by the concept of exercising. So I'm really glad the publisher actually kind of pushed that angle. And then it was sent into my world and was like, this is actually, this is really happening. This is, this is happening. She's right here. She's going to help me. So that's perfect. <laughs> So what is your, if you had to name one, what's your favorite exercise that you would say the equestrian, anybody that rides should do every day or five days a week? The one exercise I would say they should do twice a week. Twice a week. Okay. The plank. Oh yeah. You should plank for as long as you can, at least two days a week. And don't make it Monday and Tuesday, make it like Monday and Thursday. Like, and you want to hold that plank you know, you're really, really strong in your, on your forearms because we don't want a lot of pressure on your wrists. And you're going to hold that plank for as long as you can. Fight for The goal is two minutes. If you do it the first time and you get 10 seconds, that's great. That's a great starting point. Work up to 30 seconds. But get to the point where you can consistently hold a plank for two minutes, two days a week. There you go. That is the number one exercise for the equestrian. I will say that till the count. I do love a good plank. I did see someone, there was like a world record eight hours or something. We were just talking about planks like three or four days ago, funny enough. And there's like a world record. And I think it was Doug or my sister. And somebody's like, did you know somebody could hold a plank for eight hours? Could you imagine that? Oh God. God, no. I've seen Jan Benny hold a plank for over five minutes and I do not recommend that. I no. witnessed it with my own eyes. I wouldn't believe it if I hadn't saw it. And I was, and I do not recommend holding a plank for eight hours. I think two minutes is plenty of time. 
I like. <laughs> um, that's amazing. That's some goals there. Jeez. All right. But Laura, so uh, what is one thing like, you know, you put all of this amazing information and guidelines into a book, but what is one thing that you hope readers take away after they read it? The biggest thing I would like readers to take away is that exercise is more accessible than they thought it was. You don't need a $1,000 Peloton bike. You don't need a gym membership. You can do it with your body on a yoga mat, in your house, in your barn aisle, wherever you are. And you can do so much with body weight exercises that you are able to, you can do it on the road. The reason I don't love the Peloton is you can't take that Peloton on the road with you. You have it at one location. Maybe your hotel has a bike and you can do some exercises there. Maybe that's a big, maybe you're already out showing. Like if you love riding a Peloton, if you love running, if you love doing what you're doing, that's great. But the one thing I will say is consistency is the biggest piece of the puzzle. Like, can you do it as continuously year round, keep doing it. Can you keep doing it? And when you're exercising consistently, that's when you're going to start seeing the most results. Interesting. That makes sense to me. And I, this kind of leads into my next question is I feel like the biggest barrier for most amateur riders like me is just that time commitment, commitment, right? Like you feel like you have to log so many hours at the gym every week and Riding horses is a hobby already, and that's such a time suck. So do you have any tips for the time management aspect of like how to fit in an appropriate workout to your schedule? So that could be a podcast of its own. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I have a lecture that is by, um, his name is Randy Pausch, I believe. I don't know how to say his name, but it's P-A-U-S-C-H. And it's called time management lecture and it's by Randy Pouch and it's on YouTube. And it is, I listen to this thing literally every year. It's an hour and 15 minutes and it gives me so many nuggets. Every time I listen to it, I, and it gets, keeps me focused. It keeps me in like it is, that is my gold standard of time management. And he really is an authority on the figure because he's lecturing in like his last six months of his life dying from pancreatic cancer. It is a fantastic lecture and it's definitely worth the hour and 15 minutes. You can listen to it like you're listening to a podcast while you're riding. Like it is a very, very good, that is my time management. Like he, the one thing is his like to-do list, the way he does his to-do list. I started that my freshman year of college and I stuck with it. And it's how I've, been able to work a full-time job, write a book, breed a young horse, manage my barn and do the things that people are like, how have you done all this? And I'm like, I just keep moving. Um, but it, time management and organization are huge things that I highly value and it's making it a priority. And because it is a priority, you have to like come to that mental shift that what is my priorities and what is the best thing for me? And eventually, it's usually about when a rider hits the age of 30 is when they start thinking about, okay, my body's not recovering the way it used to. What else can I do? And then you you see riders like the queen riding into her 90s. I mean, Jan Binney is competing at 
the, I believe she's at the three-star level right now. The three-star um, level. Don't yep. quote me on that. And she, she has had some really traumatic falls and come back from that through exercise, like through physical therapy, through exercise. She is able to be the strongest rider that she is. And she is like, she's one of my archetype riders that I try to ride, like I like channel my inner Jan when I'm riding. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So I know that a lot of riders consider themselves um, athletes, right? Like I've always told my clients, if you're going to ask your horse to use his abs, then you better be using yours when I'm not here. Um, but I always think, you know, it's not always that way when outsiders are looking in, right? There's a lot of the horse does all the work kind of talk. How do you combat that? Or do you have any like good zinger response for uncle Joe Schmo who always likes to say that? (laughs) I wish I had a good singer. I've been working on this my whole life. And when I find it, I'm going to use it. Um, (laughs) I do not have a good singer. I usually let it roll off my back. Like I'm really either done with this conversation because the one time that I got really heated about it and I had an hour long debate with another exercise professional and he was a local guy that I knew lightly. And I was telling him, making really solid points. We were debating for over an hour. He actually came out with his own rider fitness program, like six weeks later. Jeez. Gosh, darn. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But sometimes you just have to say imitation is the biggest form of flattery and roll off your back. (laughs) So where can everybody find your book? I know you said uh, horsebooks.com and more info about your uh, personal training. Yeah. Horseandriderbooks.com. And then it's on Amazon. It's actually target has it. Um, The best way to buy it is from the publisher, which is horse and rider books. The best way that is the best way to buy it or to buy it from me personally, because you know me, where can we find more info on your personal training and like follow you if you're on social media or anything like that? Absolutely. So Laura Crump Anderson is my personal Facebook page, but I have hidden heights fitness. That is my Facebook page for the business. And then at Laura Crump Anderson is my Instagram and www.hiddenheightsfitness.com is my website. And you can schedule a session with me for one-on-one personal training via Zoom. So I have clients in California. I've trained a client uh, in Florida. I've trained clients in all over Virginia. I'm hoping this summer to get one in Germany, but that has not happened yet. But I think it's going to happen this summer. So we will see. Sounds great, Laura. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. All right, Jess and Ellie, I have I have some thoughts for you. You got to hear me out because it's going to take me a minute to distill them. But as someone who has just bought a very green off the track thoroughbred and read some of the recent threads in our Facebook group, you know, I feel like it's it's a common uh, frustration, right, of taking on a young or green horse or moving up to a new level uh, where you as the rider are green, you know, how do you, how do you handle those low moments and those setbacks and how do you learn from them? For example, like yesterday I had the worst ride ever with Wyatt, my green thoroughbred, like the worst ride I've had since I first got on him. It was awful. And I was like, Holy crap. I thought we were ready to like maybe do a training level dressage test. No way. And then today 
I had the best ride I've ever had on him. And so that's like literally within 48 hours, right? <laughs> so what are your options in that moment? I guess I think would be a great place to start. Maybe just like when you're getting off and you just had like the most crap ride, like what are your options? What should you be thinking about for the next ride? It's basically, I mean, as much as you get so frustrated or whatever else, it's just take it a day at a time. Like if it, if it's just like yours where it's like dr- like drastically different one to the day, like it's probably just a bad day. Like you wake up on the bad mood sometimes. So like give the horse a little bit of credit. Okay. If you're progressively like every day, you're just like fi- fighting with them, fighting with them, fighting with them. And it's getting that. What I would do is almost just like go, okay, look, maybe I do need some outside help. And maybe I wasn't supposed to have a lesson for a week or two. Maybe call and see or do a change of venue. Like if you've been hammering it in the dressage every day mm-hmm. and you can't get to a dressage lesson for the week, maybe then just go for like a little hack or a trot set or something different to kind of change the horse's scenery. So it's not going to a horse show, but like just give them something else to think about. So you're not hammering them every day. Cause sometimes just like us, we get tired of doing the same thing over and over. Like instead of doing the squats every day, if I went for a walk, I might feel better and want to go back to the squats the next day. So I sure. kind of like to do a change of scenery to like give them that, you know, everybody has bad days, but if it's every day in a row, like maybe change it up. That makes give sense. yourself some credit when it's like one off. What do you think? Ellie? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I agree with everything Jess said, um, obviously, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I think the, another thing is just to remember that training is not a linear process just like when we're learning anything new right you might have some days where you're like oh this makes so much sense like I mean I remember in college right you're sitting in front of the teacher and you're like oh I totally get it that makes so much sense and then you sit down to do your homework like six hours later and you're like what the heck was that lesson about And I think, you know, I mean, it's the same way with horses, you know, they might really understand it one day and then the next day it's not working for them physically. I mean, you have to think, I mean, their heads are a long way away from their legs and their brains are not very big. Um, So I think it's, you know, it's just important to when I, when I feel that way, when I'm working with a young horse or when, you know, what I always tell people to do is just go back to basics and go back to your horse's comfort zone and go back to what is like makes the most sense to them. Like if they are really good at trotting serpentines and, you know, they get really nice and really supple, then do that and then slowly push them back out of their comfort zone to build their confidence back up. Because I think a big thing with, with horses, just like I think small kids, or, I mean, if any of our listeners are teaching young lessons to little kids, I think it's the same thing, right? You have to have some confidence building with um, your criticisms. I think that's great advice. So a friend of mine who I go out with, who like we go out in horse events together because she also has a young horse. She's bringing along a young three-year-old that she bought as a yearling. You know, she's had some ups and downs naturally. This is a very young horse and she's starting to consider like, is it time to just send the horse to the trainer to take over the ride for a while? I mean, what are the pros and cons of that? Jess, do you want to, do you want to take that on? Like, this is an amateur eventer friend. I mean, she's done a wonderful foundation, but at what point do you feel like it's time for professional help? It depends. Like if she feels like, just like going back to what I was just saying, if she feels like she's getting stuck, then that's when I would feel like you should go to somebody or I wouldn't, 
you know, if possible before sending it to your trainer or whatever else, like ultimately if the horse is going to be hers, she needs to learn how to ride it, you know? So like sending it off to a, to a trainer, like I am a trainer and I will tell you, but at the end of the day, like you want the horse that you can ride. If I can ride it and then you can't ride it on the backside, that doesn't help anybody. So if you can get help more along the way and like, maybe it just needs a couple training rides because it's got a bad habit of something. Maybe it's not even that big of a bad habit, but just not an ideal habit. Or Mm -hmm. you want it to go get jumped for the first time, send it for like a month, let them do just kind of like a little quick thing on it. But I think at the end of the day, it's going to be her horse and she feels great on it. I wouldn't necessarily send it anywhere. I would look more at saving your money and trying to find a program that you can go more periodically to, and you can learn how to ride the horse better yourself. Okay. I'm going to tell her that when I, like when we get off this call. So that's great yeah. advice. She'll, it'll make her I mean, feel I better. Think that you, you know, you find a program, like if she's not stuck, like I mean, I know many, many horses and many, many amateurs that have brought them up. And honestly, the horse is great because it's done everything with the amateur, you mm-hmm. know? So like if it ends up selling, you know, we've sold multiple of them where, you know, I'm like, oh, this was produced by a kid, literally a kid. I mean, I'm not telling you a 12 year old kid. I'm talking an 18 year old kid. Right. And right. She did everything with it. And honestly, the horses were really good because at the end of the day, you know, they were in a training program and kind of had like us overseeing it, but not every horse has to be like produced by a professional. Sure. Has she mounted it yet? Oh yeah. She's been on it for probably nine she months. She rides it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I miss yeah. that. Honestly, then I oh, would yeah. do what Jess said, like have someone come in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, she's in a program with, she's got a show jump trainer and a dressage trainer, but, um, oh. You know, she's an amateur there. Exactly. There are the highs and lows. And then you have, you question your confidence and you question your ability. So I was telling her like, keep going, you know, you're doing yeah, better than she's most not people, feeling you know, really stuck. I mean, okay. Every professional is going to have good and bad days, you know? So like, that's not going to change. Like the worst isn't going to be perfect by going to a professional every day. Maybe it gets stamped out some of like the little, you know, n- tidbits along the way. But if she's not like at a wall at something, I would just have her kind of keep going with that help. Okay, good advice. All right. So say you bought the green thoroughbred, not talking about myself, but maybe. But how do you how <laughs> do you not get frustrated with the green moments, right? Of like, hey, I think we're past this. And then like weeks later, it's still a problem or, a, you know, a problem rears its head later on again in your in your training. How do you how do you handle that? Ellie, let's start with you. Well, I. I would do the same thing, right? I would go back to what you think, you know, where the confidence is. But I think the big thing is like, I I mean, I would compare it to this halflinger I was breaking, right? She would, she was fine. Like I had ridden her. I mean, she was under saddle maybe two weeks and I was walk shot cantering her and she was fine. She was great. And then all of a sudden she just like, every time I asked her to lope off, she would put her head down and I would just fall right off because she was so downhill. (laughs) And I just keep like bumping off, keep bumping off, keep bumping off. I even actually fell off one time when we were on a zoom call. All of us, And I'm like, Oh man, I'm like, come on, what's going on. Um, but, and like, I was like, I thought we were over this. I mean, she did that right. When I, when I first cantered her, you know, and Matt's lunging me and I'm just trying to get her going. I was like, I thought we were over this. And 
I think the biggest thing is just to kind of go back to what makes sense. And then like, so, I mean, in that situation, right. I knew it was coming. So I straight up just grabbed onto the cantle. I was like, I have no shame. Like, I know she's going to do this when she lopes off. Right. So it's like, as long as I get through the first couple of strides, right. And then she'll get back at it. And literally once I did that twice, she was like, oh, I forgot that I can canter with someone on my back. And I'm like, yeah, like you were literally yesterday. So I think it's that same kind of concept, right? So say your horse is like, you know, he's been really good about getting into the bridle and, you know, going forward. But now he's like really sluggish and doesn't want to really kind of hold on to the bit himself. You know, that's when I would go back to riding him with without the feel and then slowly bringing it back. And then if you have that resistance, you know, you just keep the pressure on, hold in there for a second, and then release as soon as you feel even the little bit amount of change. I think a big thing just in training in general is that people wait for the the complete reaction when in actuality you should be giving that release of pressure and that reward as soon as there's a change, right? So if you're teaching a horse to, for example, you know, turn around on the forehand, right? If you feel them start to suck up to move their haunch over, then boom, that's when you, you pat them. Yes, that's what I want. And then you can start to increase. I think a lot of the times people are like, well, they have to do like a whole 90 degrees before I'm going to like give a, give away with my pressure. And they don't, they don't understand that, you know? Yeah, no, that's a great, that's great advice. Jess, do you have anything to add? No, I think she kind of hit it right on the, you know, nail on the head. Cause like basically take home steps back and it's kind of everything we've talked about that. Honestly, it's just taken one day at a time and we all get, and knowing everybody gets frustrated. That's the biggest thing. Oh, it's impossible not to get frustrated. Yeah, it's not, I mean, I'm frustrated it, you know, on some of my young ones, you know, it's just part of life. And it's like, you know, like I said, maybe if you've had a really bad day the next day, try it. And if it's going to be something, go try to do something that's going to make you feel better for sure. So what about like, how do you look for nuggets in that bad ride of what to learn from the situation? Like, how can you be a little bit more introspective of like, okay, I just had a really crap ride. I don't want to look at my horse for a week. <laughs> you know what I mean? But obviously you still get back on the next day. How do you learn from that crap ride? Like, what should you be looking for in that on how to how to find something that you can at least make some small change from that? But take the parts that were really good. Maybe don't go back to the part that he, you know, if you're working on leg yields and you can't move them over in the leg yield or you can't really do a ton of the trot to canter, you know, maybe do different things where you put them on a circle, do a trot canner, do a different exercise to ask for what was being the problem to not go straight to that next problem again the next day. So don't go like, I'm going to fix it by, I'm going to make them do 10,000 trot canners. Well, then you're just going to piss you and him off. Yeah, exactly. So like try to do a different, maybe, you know, get online and find a different exercise or you know, if you're going to the trainer in the next couple of days, tell them exactly what you were having problems with. Like I could not trot canter for the life of me, or I couldn't canter, try, you know, whatever the situation was, maybe I couldn't do a leg guild. Maybe I couldn't do a lead change and they'll give you an exercise that maybe makes that exercise better. And think about the parts that were good and try to recreate more of those so that you feel better about the situation because you have better 
you know, like, let's say your mediums are better or your walk trots were better, like something just as basic focus on like what the good was and do those again. And then it gives you and the horse a little bit of confidence along the way. I love that. That's a great, that's great advice. Yeah. I, I try to focus too on what I can be doing differently in a situation. Like for example, right. I have been trying to start getting back on Berkeley and I mean, I've had the horse for 10 years. I mean, I, I know what he likes, what he doesn't like, you know, and how to ride him successfully. Right. But I've just been feeling, I'm like, man, he's so heavy. Like, why is he so heavy? And it's like, you know, I was like, well, I'll change his bit. And it's like, well, do I need to do that? Or like, is it me? Am I being too handsy? Right. I haven't ridden him in a long time. Am I doing enough with like, I try to break everything down. So like going to Jess's example with the leg yields, I like to think about, you know, everything, all the little pieces that I'm doing and how I can think about them in a slower and more precise way, right? So if I'm leg yielding, am I using my calf in the right position or is it too far forward, too far back? Am I using, you know, too much left rein instead of left leg? So I like to think about those things and what I can tweak in that process to make it easier to understand for the horse and kind of go back to it and make make the things easy, right? Because we don't want to be riding a horse that takes a crap ton of pressure to move to do anything, right? So you've got to find the the least amount of pressure so that you're not having to do a lot of work for a simple maneuver, if that makes sense. Definitely. All right, guys, it's time for Rose and Thorn. Who wants to go first? I can go. Okay. So my rose is that my knee is feeling better. We talked about that a bit. And so that I'm getting better every day and I don't feel super special on the crutches and PT started and it's, it's slowly getting there. So that's, that's my rose is that it's just a slow process that it is what it is. And I'm enjoying, you know, just at least I'm moving forward basically in that Mm -hmm. sense that I'm like, okay, you know what? It's been a lot, obviously, but like my whole knee is recovering really well. And so that's what I'm actually most thankful for is that I feel surgery's gone well. I'm only a month in, but I'm able to go to physical therapy and I'm bending it and everything else. So my rose is that hopefully, fingers crossed, I get a really good diagnosis next week and that my surgeon is as happy as I am. So that would be my rose for sure is that it's not taking a worse turn, that it's going in the right direction. And my thorn, my thorn though, is I have spent the last couple days on the phone with insurance companies Uh and that is like the death of me. Like, oh yeah, that's a nightmare situation. It's a nightmare and it's, it'll be fine, but it's like, you have to follow up. And I'm talking about health insurance and all that. Like, thankfully my surgery and everything was covered, but it's like, you know, they're like, oh, well, I'm not sure if this PT is covered and all this. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And they're like, well, we don't know if it was related. I'm like, well, I'm not going to PT for fun. Let me tell you that. So it's just been, that is, that is my definite thorn is that I'm so sick of calling insurance companies, <laughs> but I think I have it resolved. So fingers crossed. I'll find out tomorrow. There you uh, go. Fingers yeah. crossed for you. Fingers crossed. Ellie, are you ready? Uh, yeah, I can go. Go for it. Um, so my Rose is that I've decided to make a decision, um, which, <laughs> which sometimes is very difficult. Um, so I've decided to uh, like pursue kind of like a year end thing. Just trying to set like a goal for myself um, with Q. Actually, um, there's like a, a 
local horse show series that's like I think it's like eight shows and I'm gonna do like the whole thing for like year end points they have like a little banquet like it's not super big or anything but I'll be showing like ranch um and stuff so I'm trying to set that goal for myself will I be able to not sure (laughs) um like right now I'm still kind of I don't know. I just look like I'm water skiing when I canter. Uh, so that is really <laughs> annoying. Um, I literally ride Berkeley with like a nice cotton rope around his neck as like an oh crap strap. In addition to like my little like pommel strap, because I'm like, I want my hands like not in my crotch. You know, I'm like, <laughs> so I, I have that for like when I'm just like, oh my God, like I can feel myself like sliding forward. But so that's my goal. That is my I'm trying to stay positive for for that goal. My thorn would be that this weather is driving me crazy because it's it's like it's literally like snowing right now and then tomorrow it's going to be mud and then it's going to be half frozen, half mud and like even Berkeley and Q the other day were just like a little off, so I've been not putting them out because I think they're starting to get stone bruises, and they got trimmed, and they all look sound now, so I'm hoping their angles were just off because they were due, but I'm just really sick of this, like, fake winter thing we're getting, so that would be my my thorn, is frozen ground, and I have a mud pit farm, but... Oh. Yeah. Uh, Hang in there. What about you, Justine? Also, well, one, I'm sure you don't look like you're water skiing, but we're, I feel like we're all our worst critics. <laughs> right. So hang in there. All right. That's all I got to say. Um, oh, thanks. <laughs> okay. So actually my rose has to do somewhat with your mom. I had a conversation with your mom <laughs> over Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, <Joyce. Wow. laughs> my rose is always my mom. <laughs> uh, yeah, she's, she's, I want her to be my mom some days, but anyway, so I posted a, um, a picture of my like Facebook stories and she responded to it because I'm an insane person. And my new hobby is literally growing seeds in my house, like in my home office where I'm taping this podcast right now and feeding <laughs> fodder to my chickens. So, and I got what? this idea from, uh, to be honest, in the beginning from Brianna Noble, who we've had on the podcast, who, yes, I've you know, stuff about fodder. I know. So she lives in Southern California and she feeds barley fodder to her horses like daily. She has a whole operation. You could buy fodder systems from her. She does a really remarkable job. Her Instagram is super informational. And I just was like, I'm really interested in learning more about this. Oh, so I went- I went down the deep, dark hole of the internet. I'm bored. I have nothing else to do, apparently. So I'm like, literally, I'm turning around and looking at my barley and alfalfa and wheatgrass all growing behind me and trays in my home office. But anyway, so I post pictures occasionally, like on my social media of how it's going. And Ellie, your mom responded and she was like, I'm so curious about fodder. <laughs> so we <laughs> we had a brief exchange about fodder and like how it started and why I'm doing it. And my chickens love it. I don't feel confident enough in my skills yet to feed it to the horses. Like it in Florida, you have to grow it inside because it has to be fairly cool. And um, it, it's very easy for mold to grow. So I just don't feel like I should feed it to the horses yeah. until I can guarantee that I 
you know, I know what I'm doing, but it's been a lot of fun. Uh, my husband thinks I'm an insane person, but I, that's what I do. It is my hobby when I'm not riding horses or taking care of chickens or my dog. So I'm growing, funny. Uh, I'm growing seed in my home office. <laughs> so <laughs> that is my, that is my rose is that your mom reached out and was like, this is so cool. I want to know more because I'm always like, yes, I want to talk to people who want to talk to me about seeds. So <laughs> now I'm wondering, like, what does my mom want for? <laughs> yeah, we were talking is- about it and she was like, oh, I don't think it'll work where I live. You know, and it's too cold and then too wet. And I was like, yeah, it's really it's really hard to grow and not get mold, you know. So we, we had a whole like conversation about like how how to do it. But um, yeah. so that's my rose. My thorn. Oh, man. Oh, I got a good one, actually. So my thorn is. um. I took Wyatt to a horse show. My friend was competing at a USCA horse trial and I just put him in the trailer to take him to like see a horse show for the first time and stand tied at the trailer and like just be there, you know, get that experience. He was very concerned and it was fine. You know what I mean? Like that's why we were there. Yeah. But he stepped on my foot. I think we talked about this the last podcast. Yep. And my foot is not as disgusting looking as it was you know the last time we talked about it but it's like you know i could be at the barn all day and ride a couple horses and when i come home everything hurts like everything in pain yeah and i just don't it looks almost normal almost but um it's gonna take a while i know i hate that it takes too (laughs) long it's annoying you know but i'm fine you know i'm functional at least so this you and I can hobble around could, together. <laughs> right. And this is why they could tell we ride horses and they found out <laughs> that oh, 5,000 years ago. Yep, exactly. Physical stress. <laughs> All right, guys. So we've got a mailbag from the Facebook group. And this is the question. And then I'm hoping both of you can help them find a good answer. Any advice on how to navigate finding a barn family when you don't have any connections in a new area? You can Google farms that offer leases or lessons, but it's often hard to know if you're going to fit in, right? So, I don't know. Ellie, do you have any advice? So, when I, like, when I left college, I just started, like, Facebook messaging a whole bunch of farms. And it was probably inconvenient because I did it for the first time, I'm pretty sure, at, like, 1130 at night. And I'm pretty sure I was inebriated. Um, So, that's probably not a good, like, first impression to make. I wouldn't recommend that part. But I think just, like, asking around, you know, it was difficult because I didn't really know anyone in the, the area Um, but that kind of helped me. I liked being able to Facebook stalk the barns, you know, and kind of see, you know, what they had, what what they were doing. Yeah. Yeah. I think that helps a lot, you know, cause I, I feel like you can, you can tell a lot from a Facebook. (laughs) Um, I think that's a real thing. I mean, you can see like, are, are these, is this a barn like, you know, super competitive or they doing shows all the time? Or is this something where like me being just kind of like you know, be bopping around. Is that going to be, am I going to have companions? And like, I know my mom was talking about that when, um, the barn got shut down in, uh, when it got sold in Connecticut, because my mom is one of those people, right? She just wants to go enjoy. And she found a barn where there are other women in their sixties that come and just ride their horses and have a good time. So I think that's really important. And like just going and touring different barns, like messaging them, 
or calling them and saying, hey, like, can I come get a tour of your barn? Like, I'm new to the area. Like, just be honest, you know, um, and just kind of feel it around that way. I mean, I think you can get a lot from, you know, the Facebook stalking, but then you can also get a lot by just like, I think it's important to go see it yourself and have like open conversations with the people that run it. Um, Cause I mean, I don't, I don't know if you're bringing a horse, but uh, that's, you know, you can tell a lot by, you know, the care of the other horses and you can tell a lot by, you know, how they interact with the horses and, and yeah, get and the how vibe. you interact with them. And exactly. see, I think that's yeah. the biggest thing is like, I would say go tour, like go spend some time, Facebook stock, do all that message them, set up times, go and like, even if you have to, like you're new to the area and the horse is coming, maybe try to get there early, you know, maybe a couple weeks before months before whatever you have the availability for and go and try to like, just set up appointments because I feel like you're going to know a lot in talking to the person and seeing, is this barn a bunch of kids? You don't want kids because you want a bunch of ladies. Like you're going to know more by going over and seeing who's there and what you're looking for. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. And also just asking to maybe come and watch lessons. Yeah. I think that's really important is to go and see what the relationship the trainer has with their students um, and, and just spend a couple of times maybe even, you know, if, uh, if that works for you or go to a horse show where you know that farm is going to be and watch how they interact at the horse show, you know, as a team, I think that's very telling of what the barn family is like, but uh, you know, a lot of it is just, it's like, it's like icebreakers at new jobs or, you know, meeting new people. You just kind of got to jump in and hope for the best. I, I wouldn't put too much stock in like feeling no, unsure or nervous because i feel like most people especially with horses are you know they're gonna want you to fit in there they're gonna you know so i wouldn't worry too much about it but um maybe take a bunch of lessons all over town when you first get to town and and figure that out but um you'll you'll know i feel like it's an instinctive thing like this is the right place for me or not um the more time you you can invest in different places So if you have a question for us and you want us to answer it on the show, you can always send us an email at hello at heelsdownmedia.com or you should join our Facebook group. It's the Heels Down Happy Hour Podcast Lounge. We have lots of fun conversations there all the time. And if you want to hear more from us, you should subscribe to the Heels Down Spark, our daily equestrian newsletter. You can do that by going to bit.ly slash spark by HD. And we want to say thank you to our partners this week, EcoGold. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.